afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode four of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Amon Warman. I'm Hannah Flint. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this week, we've got a pretty animal-friendly show for you to enjoy. Classic Hanna-Barbera characters Tom and Jerry are back in action, interfering with some pesky humans in the new live-action installment. We'll also be checking out Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan in their period romance and biopic Ammonite. They're not animals, we should point out. (laughs) (laughs) They're humans. They're both humans. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification, Chris. We, we, we really needed that. Uh, <laughs> plus, we'll explore the secret world of dogs in the documentary Stray. And finally, this week's hot take takes its cue from Disney's latest move to release its films concurrently in cinemas and on Disney+. Should studios be waiting until the pandemic is over to release them in cinemas instead? We will get into it soon. But before all of that... I think we all have some strong superhero feelings about certain trailers and episodes from the last week. Hannah, have you become a King Shark Stan account? I've got two words for you. Num num. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Num num. Oh my God. The Suicide Squad trailer actually gave me life. It just made me really excited for DC again after a very traumatic week before with a certain <laughs> poor Howard Beeman. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it, oh God, I love it. And um, it just felt, this is the relaunch that we needed. No shade to David Ayer. I mean, he's got his whole, you know, we all know he's got his whole business and everyone's like, hashtag release the air cut. I mean, please, I cannot deal with that again. Please do not release the air <laughs> yeah, cut. Yeah, please don't. Sometimes we, you know, I don't movies think it's are just bad. Like, yeah, we yeah. need to also, accept that. <laughs> well, I love, look at it, and I love King Shark so much. I think, I just love the idea that like, you're getting these big action heroes to play these like, kind of like non-verbal roles. <laughs> like Vin Diesel as Groot and then like Sylvester Stallone as King Shark but yeah no nom 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 I want to eat it all up I love it love the way it looks love the way it feels um and yeah so the answer to have you become a King King Shark stan account was yes is is what we're we're going with (laughs) I am a I am a weasel stan account I love weasel (laughs) he looks so cute I love him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do like the fact that he looks like it's like James Gunn has gone from like rocket to weasel. It feels like he now is a he's like contractually obliged to put anthropomorphic animals in this film. Yeah. Played by Sean Gunn. <laughs> yeah, voiced now. by someone else. <laughs> yeah. Hey, brother, I'm going to make you just play yeah. a lot of weird animals. <laughs> oh, bless him. That's Sean Gunn. <laughs> What do you think, Amon? I really enjoyed the trailer. It's just bonkers in a really, really good way. Uh, from the horribly beautiful mind of James Gunn is an interesting trailer flex, <laughs> which I think just about works. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I think what they're aiming for here is to keep the best parts of uh, Suicide Squad 2016 and then uh, sort of mix it in with James Gunn's vision. And, you know, I'd definitely put Viola Davis under the best parts of 2016 Suicide Squad. I'm glad that she is returning as Amanda Waller. Um, The cast looks great. looks like they're having a lot of fun, and that's very much translating through the screen already. Uh, So, yeah, I'm excited and intrigued. You know, after 2016 Suicide Squad, I was like, I never want to 
see, you know, I don't want to see a sequel. I'm done with the DCEU. This is terrible, da, 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 all that sort of stuff. Then when James Gunn was announced as doing a suicide squad, I was like, okay, that could actually work. And it looks like uh, that looks to be right right now. So yeah, I'm intrigued and excited to see it for sure. Um, I'm also intrigued and excited to see uh, what to see how the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is progressing. We've seen we've seen episode two now. Uh, Clarice, what did you think of second episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I'm I think I'm not a hundred percent sold on it yet. I I have two little things that I'm not <laughs> I'm not like a hundred percent won over by, which is a the flag smashes. I'm still like. Mm, what are you doing with them? Because <laughs> they just seem like good guys. <laughs> and you keep telling me that they're the bad guys. And yet, <laughs> all they seem to be doing is like, hey, we should have equality, which seems like a good thing. But well, we'll I don't see. think they're saying they're the bad guys, do you think? <laughs> I think the whole point is that they're purposely saying, no, these are good guys that have been misunderstood. Well, they're just misunderstood. Yeah, I think that's the thing. That's why I'm like, I'm not, I'm just, I'm nervous about it because I think it could go either way. I think it could be like, oh, like they might have good aims, but they're they're actually bad or something. I don't know. I'm withhold- still withholding judgment on the Flag Smashers. <laughs> and I think I'm finding the show like there's a lot of really really interesting ideas being set up and i also really enjoy the camaraderie between you know falcon and winter soldier but i'm finding the show is struggling to like make those two tones like flow together what i'm finding is a lot of the scenes are like okay we're gonna have the serious conversation and and then we're going to have two minutes of jokes. And they can't seem to do both at the same time, if that makes sense. It's like when they first yeah. meet, they have a really serious conversation. And then they're doing the, like, wizards and hobbits material afterwards. <laughs> and I wish there was a way that they could, were able to mix it. Because it feels awkward to me. But I think, it, I, I like that, though. Because I think it is awkward. It's like, oh, yeah, it's fun and joke. It's like, no, I was brainwashed. And I don't think I'm a good person. You're like, oh, okay. Okay, I'm going to leave and uh, go see if I can uh, stop these flashes with flashes. Um, but yeah, I think I really thought it was a step up from last week. And I think it just proved once again why this show needed these people, you know, Bucky and Sam to be on screen together because it just really just felt like a different experience, viewing experience. Um yeah, I, I I really like, I think I've seen some people say, I don't know how they're going to tie this up with four more episodes. Because it's only six episodes, right? Yes. Not eight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm interested. I li- I'm liking this um, Carly, what's it, Morgan's, Morgenthau? Yeah. I like her because I was like, oh, it's that girl from Solo's Star Wars Story. Um, being <laughs> yeah. yet another rebel. We love oh, it. We Aaron love Kelly this typecast. Man. Yeah, she's great. and she's British. When she was like speaking, I was like, "Yes, represent." <laughs> um, but no, I I thought it was really fun. I like the kind of like end. But I tell you what, I think what's going to be once again in the MCU, I think the real villain is American bureaucracy, <laughs> <laughs> and the face of that is broke Captain America, oh. John Walker. <laughs> Look, I know, like, I just I know he's been set up to be like actually he's a good person. I know that like he's you you know in the comic books actually this is like a transitional thing. Blah blah. I don't want to give too much away in case it spoils people's enjoyment. But oh god, he's just like so annoying. Like really just hate him. 
Like, just please, just take Steve Rogers' name out of your goddamn mouth, John Walker. You do not have the right. And also, I just, this little sidekick, it's like, dude, like, you're just a side, you're like, so basic sidekick. Like, but that little scene when in the backseat of the taxi, or <laughs> taxi, the truck. After they and just he keeps saying thinking. his full name. I found that really yeah. weird. Like Lamar, what, what, who keeps waiting? Say Lamar Hoskins. What is it? Stop Hos- saying Lamar your Hoskins. full name. Yeah, <laughs> just say Lamar. It's really weird. <laughs> Yo, it's Lamar Hoskins and John Walker. Um, but yeah, I just also really appreciated that Bucky just just stared him goddamn down and was like, "Who is this guy?" So yeah, I appreciated that energy. Um, so yeah. yeah. Big stepdad yeah. energy. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I think if you're not going to play the Marvel the Marvel fanfare, you need to have a good reason. In this episode, they had a good reason because I need the drumline remix of Star Spangled Man in my life. Why is it not on Spotify? Who do I need to talk to? Marvel, what are you doing? Amazing. Uh, I really love that. Um, <laughs> I think the therapy scene was really, really great. Um, when Bucky had that line about if, if Cap was wrong about you, then maybe he was wrong about me. I really, I felt that. And uh, Sebastian Stan especially, I think, was really, really good in that scene. I did love it when he threw on, threw him on the desk and started snogging. That was my, <laughs> I just thought, you know what, they get these characters. <laughs> There's a lot of queer baiting in this, <laughs> Yeah, for real. Although I do think we're going to get a definitive answer on where Bucky stands vis-a-vis queerness. Uh, so we're just going to have to keep watching on that front. Um, you said that as if you knew something that we didn't know. <laughs> I know you've been interviewing this week. Amon. I have. Do you know? So do you know? Do you know? Do you know things? <laughs> no, well, you know what? It was really, really interesting because obviously, you know, they had guns pointed at their heads throughout the entire interview, so they couldn't say anything. Uh, pretty much, or at least that's how it felt. But the way he didn't answer certain questions, including that one I had about Bucky's queerness makes me think that we're going to get a definitive answer on said queerness, oh if that makes sense. Um, oh, so yes, I like get it. excited, people. Um, yeah. No, Can I, I make oh, one point, actually? You ahead. just mentioned guns. You just, you just remind me of something, which I thought was really weird. Captain America, like, there was a bit where they're on the thingy and, like, John, I don't call him, I don't recognise him as Captain America. I'll just call him John Walker. Um, <laughs> he used a gun, and I was like, oh, Captain America didn't use guns. <laughs> he uses his shield and that's it. So you're never going to be Captain America. Go away. I mean, so yeah, him bringing out that gun, I was like, you don't bring you don't bring a gun to a shield show, fam. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because like in the first Avenger, Captain America, Steve Rogers does use a gun. Um, but yeah, this is 2021 now. It's it's really, really interesting to see, see what they're doing with John Walker because I think it's tricky to place someone who is in some respects a decent guy, but he's just not quite Cap. He's just a little bit off. And then learning that, I think that's very, yeah. very interesting. I also think, I'm predicting it now, I think John Walker's going to die in, in either the next episode or episode four. Um, and I think that's, I, I, I think that is how sort of, because in, in the trailers we've seen Sam with the shield and like practicing with the shield. I think the reason why he mm. has it is because John Walker is no longer in the picture. But the, the, the only sort of criticism I have of mm. the show, or not the, the main criticism that I have of the show so far, is that it's discuss, it's showing racism and it's showing interesting things in that regard, 
it's not actually said the R word and talked about it. It's just showed it and then gone to a different scene. And I think that's similar to what you were saying, Clarice. At some point, they're going to need to slow down and actually explore and examine and talk about all the stuff we're seeing. Because, like, in, for instance, in the second episode, they had that scene where the police come and surround Bucky and Sam in the, in the middle of the street. Nobody talks about that scene. Nobody talks about what just happened. It just goes on to the next scene. At some point, we're going to need to follow up yeah. and engage in what is actually happening. Uh, but I'm liking a lot of what it's yeah. setting up. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Zemo in the next episode. Uh, so yeah, give me more. Give me more. Give me, give me more. <laughs> Do you reckon, because I think you're right, it feels there's so much subtext about racism and it feels like a, it feels like what reading a headline about like, <laughs> like a white dude killing people, <laughs> killing Asian women and no one's actually saying <laughs> the racism. Like, do you know what I mean? So people are so wanting to use that word. But I, I, I yeah. think, I think you're right. If it doesn't actually call it out like bluntly instead of having this like peripheral understanding of what's going on it's not really grappling with the conversation is it so it's not really it's i just don't think it's it's yeah so i hope so call that motherfucker out (laughs) i also want to get uh, more into the isaiah bradley story because if you've read the truth red white and black comic which is uh where uh isaiah's story is told you'll know that there's a lot of really interesting stuff they can dig into there. So fingers crossed we'll get to see some flashbacks, some actual flashbacks to uh, Isaiah whipping Bucky's ass as he proclaimed in that episode. But enough superhero chat, enough procrastinating. We're not George R. R. Martin, we're fade to black. Let's get on with him. <laughs> <laughs> George's skills are legendary. I was under the impression that fine London gentlemen were no longer interested in my relics. Fashion moved on. My wife hasn't been at all well of late. What a wonderful opportunity it would be for her to walk the shoreline with you, learn from you. I'm not looking for an apprentice. I would be able to pay a premium for a private audience. Your husband paid me to take you out with me. My husband, your husband, left you. Yes, the latest addition to the lesbian period drama. <laughs> we love it. The explosion has continued. Uh, that was uh, the trailer for Ammonite. Uh, this is Francis Lee's follow-up to God's Own Country, which focuses on the claimed paleontologist Mary Anning, played by Kate Winslet, um, who is working alone selling common fossils to tourists to support her ailing mother at Seaside Town. But a chance job offer changes her life when a visitor hires her to care for his wife, Charlotte Murchison, played by Saoirse Ronan. Things get steamy, guys. Super, super steamy. Um, Amon, were you steamed? Uh, only mildly this is at the end it's going to be it'll be steam screen stream skip (laughs) I was I was mildly steamed uh, by this Uh, I wanted to be steamed more this is sounding really weird I'm just going to start talking about the film (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the performances um, are by and large great Uh, Winslet is very convincing as the sort of stern and unsociable Mary who 
slowly becomes more vulnerable. I think Saoirse Ronan is sort of the queen of period dramas and she proves that again. It's a beautiful film to look at. Um, I really enjoyed all of that. It just left me emotionally cold. Like, I could see where it was going. I could see what it was trying to do, but I didn't feel it as much as I wanted to. Um, so that is sort of where I had a bit of a disconnect with this film. Um, but I still sort of appreciated it in many respects. As I say, I think the performances individually are great. Um, I just wanted to feel it more. Clarice, <laughs> feelings the same? Steamed or understeamed or no steamed or steamy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I'm going to be controversial and say that the steam is not the point. <laughs> no, I know. Sorry, this is very... <laughs> Not as a criticism to you, but but like what I really liked about Ammonite is to me, it's it's not a love story. I'm going to quote my own review because I'm really lazy, but I wrote that it's... <laughs> that's why you write them. That's why I write <laughs> so them. So it's like so repurpose. Reference them later. It's, it's impassioned without being romantic. And instead of it really being about like this great love that defies the odds and it empowers them, it's actually like here are, are two very different individuals and you have Kate Winslet who's like the very, she's like the hard cliff face. <laughs> and then you have Saoirse Ronan who's, who's like the soft waves because she, um, she's struggling. Eroding with her walls. Her. Yes. Well, she, yeah, she's struggling with the grief of a miscarriage. Her husband doesn't love her. She's having a terrible time. Um, and and so it, it's about these two individuals like crossing each other's paths and through their love affair um, and, and through their affair, they learn more about themselves. So it's less about like, it's less about them together, but it's more what happens to them individually. And I think the mm. film does a really beautiful job of expressing that and also expressing it through landscape because I love the sound design in this, like the crunch of the pebbles and when they're brushing the fossils and, and the rustle of the big skirts, like moving mm -hmm. through <laughs> tiny doorways. <laughs> like I, so yeah, I, I think it, it's not what you expect, but I really, I really loved it for that. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think what I liked about it is that it wasn't trying to be pretty. It was trying to be real. And I think you really captured it. It had a really strong aesthetic, as in, you know, it was quite, I suppose, I found it quite awe-inspiring in some ways, like kind of just the scenes and the beautiful beach scenes. And I just, even like the muted colors, it was quite drab, but still quite beautiful to look at. Um, I think I'm a bit with Amon. I was left somewhat cold by it, but in a way it's, I think it's because like, not cold, I like the performance, but as in cold from like the, like the love story mm. element, which felt in a way, not really the most important thing in the film. Like it felt to me like, I'm really interested in this paleontologist. Exactly. Like, the only paleontologist I've ever heard of is Ross Geller. <laughs> so I was like, oh, Mariani, pivot to me, pivot. Um, I think what's really important is when we're talking about historical figures, we don't try to, um, you know, straight wash the past just to fit a certain narrative. I think it's important to be inclusive of the potential for actually queer stories for sure. But I think it, I think I'd be more, I was more interested in Mary's kind of struggle 
for being this person who's like literally reduced to having to sell like do tourists like fossils when actually that's not the work mm. and in, in a way it's like I wanted it to have I suppose one thing I think liked about The Dig which I think is a similar movie in a way um, obviously with a platonic love story at the center of it but I think it kind of definitely allowed like what's his name is it Basil I can't remember the name of the the character but the archaeologist mm. that Ray Fiennes plays I think it kind of showed a bit more and they were kind of similar characters and that they were these you know working class there's a definitely a massive class story that I really wanted both to grapple with like a little bit more um but you know saying that um I thought Kate Winslet I love it when she's um when she's given the freedom to not be a Hollywood star where she's like there to do the job character to create a character and really lean into it I think Cesar Ronan I feel like I've seen this character a bit before that kind of sort I don't know if there was anything for me that was um stand out from her performance in that I felt I don't know I didn't feel like that too different to some of her other period roles but maybe that's because we're so, she's done so many period dramas at this point in short <laughs> succession um but yeah I think I was very I thought I loved the what it was trying to do I liked the performances Kate Winslet I think especially I thought it's quite ethereal um looking so yeah I'm not opposed to it and I think it's a nice bit of filmmaking that kind of told a different story that we needed to hear. Yeah. I, I agree in that I felt the passion between Mary and her craft more than I felt the passion between the two women and I feel like those mm. maybe either I, 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 those two things should be reversed or they should be at the same level um mm. so so yeah. Mm. But I guess right. I felt like that was inten intentional. Okay. <laughs> I think mm. that's the thing. It's like I understand what you're saying, but I was like, I feel like that was for me part of the story because it was more about how um that love affair affected each other's lives without ruining the ending. Like there's a really crucial scene at the end, I think, mm -hmm. that sort of mm. brings it all back to that idea. I think also, you know, talking about the class thing, I think there was a really good way and it showed like talked about it, it class privilege mm. i wanted to go harder on it but i think it did do a good job on that showing the difference between these two women and what you know what what that means and how that affects your standing in society and the freedom through which we can live our life freely i think obviously you know most you know i think most period dramas like you know portrait of a lady on fire and all these ones that kind of grapple this subject it's all about women wanting to live their life freely but often it feels like the class element isn't really explored like <laughs> somewhat you when you're kind of richer yeah you can have a bit more freer than you know if you're poor which is obviously relevant today as well but yeah but yeah so what do we reckon Sen? are we gonna do steam screen you can have steam and scream i think what i mean is like do you hold it in great esteem <laughs> so it's basically stream or skip Correct. So, uh, Amon, are you screen, a stream or skip? I'm going to stream on this one. Mm, okay, Clarice. Stream and steam. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I reckon that that's three, that's three streams equals a big steam. <laughs> yeah, go watch it. beautiful wonderful dogs <laughs> they are <laughs> the stars of stray which is a new documentary by filmmaker elizabeth lowe 
and it follows the plight of three stray dogs wandering the streets of Istanbul. Stray explores what it means to live as a being without status or security. As they search for food and shelter, three dogs, Zaytan, Nazar, and Kartal, embark on inconspicuous journeys through Turkish society that allow us an unvarnished portrait of human life. Hannah, doggos. Doggos! Precious doggos! <laughs> okay, my first thought was... Um, this film shouldn't be called Strays, it should be called Buttholes. <laughs> and there, ladies and gentlemen, is your Fade to Black poster quote. Hi, thank you. I'm Hannah Flint. Bringing down, bringing down the tone since uh, 1988. <laughs> it just made me realise, because I think that's a testament to the way this film was shot. I love the fact that Lowe kept the camera at the dog's level. So you felt it was a very, this kind of very naturalistic, visceral, fly-on-the-wall documentary where actually you're the dog on the pavement. Um, I think having that really created a sense of um, intimacy with the dogs that she was following um, as we see them kind of navigate throughout the streets and then interact with like some refugees. I think that dual narrative there really worked well and just showed that this kind of displacement and and actually having to, I just, it was quite heartbreaking. <laughs> but I think what, um, but I, it just made, you know, the butthole scenes because I realized in so many, <laughs> was so, you know, this feels like this is a Disney movie that hasn't got any Disney elements in it. Do you know what I mean? It's got this kind of really strong narrative and you think, oh God, like, you could I can imagine you could have voices for these characters as these dogs you know <laughs> Satan and the Nazar as they're kind of run pottering around um but yeah I noticed that obviously in animation they obviously edit out butts <laughs> it's like oh yeah no they do have a if you actually did an, if you actually went back to like do like all these like you know all dogs go to heaven or like all that I bet it would be a very different movie if you actually saw release the, the cat's butthole cut <laughs> Release the <laughs> No, um, sorry. I feel like I'm really doing a disservice to what a beautiful film this is. But no, I think it, I thought it was just really, I love the way it was shot. I love the story it was telling. I love the dual narrative about refugees and Syrians, you know, kids who are kind of, you know, stuck in between on the fringes of society and this kind of, I suppose, in this uh, and kind of not welcome really anywhere. Um, I love, <laughs> I love that they, um, I love that they called a dog called Cartel <laughs> or Cartel. It's like, oh wow, this is a gangster yeah. dog. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was very strong. And also, I like that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't overly long. I think when you've got really got much talking roles, <laughs> you know, I mean, characters talking, it kind of, it felt, it felt very organic. And I thought it was edited very well and shot very well. And I'm really, you know, Elizabeth Lowe, congratulations. She's like, she wrote it, she produced it, she directed it and she edited it. So yeah, quadruple threat filmmaker out there. Come on, doggos. <laughs> doggos? Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm such a, that's such a millennial thing. I'm sorry. I shouldn't, doggos is like an annoying. We are annoying millennial millennials. Like, let us live. <laughs> I am an annoying millennial. Just let me say doggo. <laughs> I really didn't think I'd hear the word butthole uh, so much this morning, but here we are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's something really cool and interesting about seeing the world through a dog's perspective. And I think this captured that really well uh, through a number of techniques. Uh, there's a, at one point, she puts a GoPro camera on Zayton, who's the main dog um, in, in the film. And that was really, really cool. Uh, I really love the score as well by... Ali Helwing, sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, uh, but it's a full of cellos and it really sort of, when, when, it, when it comes into the film, it really sort of has uh, a great effect. I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm a bit mixed on 
the format as a whole because like on the one hand because this is sort of an experimental film in some way in some ways it's very unforced and unstaged and organic is the word hannah used and that's right i did i did find that a little meandering at times um because of the absence of the of of a typical narrative and structure that you would have in other films um but on the whole i i did enjoy it i mean i i don't own a dog i obviously I like dogs. I'm not a monster. Uh, but if you are a dog lover and a dog owner, I think you can especially love this one. Clarice, doggos. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing I'd love to add is is like, there's there's a whole sort of academic line of thinking of, of how do we study cities and how do we map cities? Like not just in a literal map sense, but in terms of, of kind of uh, anthropological sense, I guess. And what I loved about this <laughs> film is it's it's a it's a new way to study the mm. city, and it's a new way to see Istanbul because we're not looking at it mm. from the obvious perspective of a a human or even a tourist like going to predictable places. Um, we're seeing it through the eyes of of a being that yeah is is marginalized and is able to to pass through the city in a different way that maybe other like people would um or like yeah the um a lot of the population would um and i just i found that fascinating like it's such an interesting way to to present a portrait of istanbul because that's what it is it's not just a movie about dogs it's a movie Mm. about a city and and to see mm-hmm. how the dogs yeah then interact with with the refugees and the way that they find companionship in each other because what they share in common is that their lives are so determined by the like very small mm. actions of others and it's like their their days are driven by is this person going to show me kindness and either for the dogs like give me a pat on the head or or for the kids like you mm-hmm. know get yeah. me food and shelter or you know, are they going to be the police? Are they going to round us up and arrest us just for for yeah. existing? <laughs> so I found that aspect of it really interesting. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of like, oh my God, a movie about dogs. I love it. And it's a really great portrait of like dog behavior. But also there's this whole other level to it yeah. that I just And loved. I think, you know, I, I mean, I love, I kind of wrote a thing about like man and dog movies and the companionship. And there really just goes to show that like dogs truly are like man's best friends and and I thought it was really interesting to see I suppose the I suppose the you know the similarities between them and the young kids who kind of took them on as companion it was really hot just quite heartbreaking just seeing I suppose yeah seeing that treatment but also the idea that like these these are stray dogs but humans are kind of being treated the same if not worse and with less compassion because you know, there's a moment where they have these security guards and like they're really upset. You know, they're like, "Oh, they keep saying, oh, all you do is sniff glue," and it's like, um, "Why aren't you suggesting to help them?" You know, what I mean, it just feels like you're willing to take in mm-hmm. a dog and look after a dog, but a human. And I just think that was a really interesting kind of aspect as well. How we're more likely to help a dog than we are to help a fellow person in need. Um, obviously, there's more to do with mm-hmm. it, but it just, yeah, it just felt. It felt honest. And I, I think obviously there's some scenes that might have been slightly contrived to get the effect. Uh, there's a really lovely shot, which feels very set up, where it kind of like it's start a guy coming around the corner to deliver some, you know, boxes or boxes something to a restaurant and it pulls back. And you'll see that actually what's blocking his way is one of the dogs sleeping in the sun. And then you have the owner kind of <laughs> kick him away. And it's like, oh, it feels like they, she's asked them to recreate that 
can you just do that again <laughs> so I can get that in? But that, I don't, <laughs> I, in a way that I don't mind that sort of, I, I suppose, the kind of setup because I think very much else, I don't think there was really, it, it definitely feels like she was just filming these people for a while and like they just came together, these things happened. There's not really much of a plot and that's the point, but it's not really a narrative. It's just that this is, you know, I think it was quite freeing in that way and actually, yeah. Yeah, because she, she followed the dogs for yeah. several years. Yeah. So that's what's interesting. It's like in the film, it's framed as, oh, maybe it's a couple of days, but this was her like really studying. And I think also gaining mm. the trust of the dogs because the camera yeah. gets very, very close to the, the faces and, and buttholes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's that word again. So final thoughts, verdict, stream or skip? Hannah. Um, it gets two buttholes from me. Stream. <laughs> what does so two buttholes mean? I was though? like thinking two about like, up. well, you know, like how Ebert and Cisco would be like two <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> if they really like so, it's two thumbs up, one thumbs up, or a thumbs down, or whatever. And I was like, two buttholes up. <laughs> <laughs> two buttholes raised to the sky. Yeah, yeah, love it. No, I think it was really good. So I think definitely. Um, stream screen i think it might be a screen situation it's a dog woof one isn't it so i think it'll probably be on like curzon or potentially bfl movie or bfi player one of those or video on demand sites i'm on screen stream or skip screen let's all go book a holiday to istanbul and hang out with some dogs <laughs> and i would yeah i would also say screen i think i just really liked it i think it's brilliant check it out that's like two for two on on stream. I know. Screen. Well, <laughs> well, I have a feeling that streak is about to come to an end. It's time to talk Tom and Jerry. This hotel has been host to four presidents, three popes, two kings, and we're about to host the wedding of the century. Do you think you're qualified to take on this position? I shine under pressure, like a diamond. Or Rihanna. <laughs> One other thing. We have a mouse problem. But the what now? So this is Tom and Jerry. And uh, yeah, a legendary rivalry re-emerges when Jerry moves into New York City's finest hotel on the eve of the wedding of the century. And that forces the event planner Kayla, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, to hire Tom to get rid of him. Clarice, what did you make of Tom and Jerry? I think it was, I... <laughs> <laughs> and that is Clarice's review. Truly... I, think, I think that says it all. <laughs> Look, I try not to be overly harsh about kids' movies because I understand that, like, I am not the audience for this. There's a butt and, coming here. And I try to approach them, like, on their level and, and be open about it. But this, I just, I hated it. <laughs> I... The thing is, what really <laughs> the the sort of conceit of the film is that we live in this universe, or the characters, not us, the characters live in a universe where all animals are cartoons. So it's kind of a Who Framed Roger Rabbit setup. But the issue is, is like there's so many questions, and I, I spent the whole film like trying to figure out the logic of this. <laughs> imagined universe where all animals are cartoons because it means that when they go to the kitchen the meat is cartoons when they go to the fish market the dead fish are cartoons and then I spent about 20 minutes of this film thinking about so is there cartoon blood 
if you go to the cartoon slaughterhouse and the cartoon cows are getting brutally slaughtered to make hamburgers, is cartoon blood like spurting out of them? I, <laughs> I like the idea that maybe it, like the minute they get killed, they just revert back to their like normal form, and it's like a bloodbath. Like it's like, oh, we're cute, and it's that's... like, no, I'm dead. I'm meat. <laughs> that's the thing. It is because the meat is still cartoons, and so when you go to eat meat as a person in this universe, you are eating a cartoon. Yeah, and it really drove me insane <laughs> because <laughs> it's one of those things where like they just I. You know, when when they're making a movie from an IP and they know they have to make it two hours <laughs> and they have to make it work, how would Tom and Jerry exist in a human world? They made this decision. I get it. But I really wish that they had spent like 10 minutes thinking about the logic of it because it could have saved me a lot of grief. And I just... <laughs> also, Colin Jost plays the the groom in this and he looked really lost and I felt <laughs> that he how felt can he like be he lost when he's the playing exit. the same character that he was born to play a privileged white dude <laughs> <laughs> but it just seems like he was like looking for the exits like, yeah, no, why I mean... am I here <laughs> I don't Scarlet help me <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's two for two now with Colin Jost playing the whitest person in the movie I do mm-hmm. it coming to America now this yeah, I, Colin Jost, please stick to the news desk of SNL, the weekend <laughs> update desk. You, you're not an actor. Like, you really are not. You're a very good comedy writer. You're good on delivering that, but he's not, like, he's so, so like, he's just not good. <laughs> that's, like, all I can say. It's like, you're playing a character that's basically you, and you're not even in doing it that well. Like, there was, like, it's supposed to be those moments where it's supposed to be quite emotional, and you're like, no, I just don't believe it. Nope. Like, to be fair, I don't think any actor could have delivered a good performance with that script, so I feel like... True. Yeah. It's... I don't feel like... I feel like none of the actors, like, they're innocent. Yeah. I don't... I, you know what? <laughs> you say that, best. but I think, actually, Michael Peña uh, was the best thing. Well, out of the humans, he was the best human. It's a low bar, yeah. but yes. And Rob Delaney with his big moustache. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I saw a tweet the other day that said, basically explaining like we've all like talking about the monster universe and saying, oh, the problem is they just you know there's too many humans, and like I would disagree because I think Brian Brian Cranston is still the greatest thing about the reboot of you know monsterverse franchise, and he just wants to the truth about his wife. <laughs> I don't have answers. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's literally my. I, I, I will, I will be quoting that scene. I want that scene played at my funeral. <laughs> that's it. Just that's my. It's like in between like the lovely pictures of me like from my Instagram, you know, over the years, and it's just I want my. What happened to my wife? Like that's that scene. Um, that's the coffin descent. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I think yeah, this is one of those things where the best parts of it were the animations and it was kind of annoying that there was humans interfering with it. I just thought it was just so, who cares? Like the Tom and Jerry audience don't give a shit about Kayla, uh, some random girl who managed to kind of like white feminize her way into this (laughs) job. (laughs) Like it just felt very (laughs) precarious. I found quite quite precarious that the object, I suppose that the optics of this pretty young white woman who's totally unqualified kind of 
kind of usurping and causing like potential threat to like a Latino man's qualified Latino man's um, position at a hotel. I mean, I don't want to get into spoiler things. I mean, I can't spoil something that's already pretty shit. But um, <laughs> yeah, that was weird. And also it felt like, you know, uh, you know, this kind of, they have a character where Colin Joe's wife is South Asian, I'm assuming Indian, because it seemed like they were trying to do like a Hindu ceremony for the wedding, definitely. But it felt like they only made her that character so that they can make a joke about elephants, um, have, a jo- have a joke about elephants so they could use it. So it felt like, oh, right. This like okay, there's not really a meaningful exploration of of her culture. It was just like let's just try and do every stereotype that we assume would come with that sort of wedding, and and then the delivery of that when arrived, it was actually just kind of like God, I can't believe that they went through this. And I'm yeah, that was kind of and the elephants bad. Are, are like oh my god, WTF? Oh yeah, oh my like, god, that's yeah, the, whole the, the, the vice joys, <laughs> but also it's like oh yes, we're gonna give these elephants. British accents so let's really lean into like the British Empire and the imperialism mm. like these elephants now have English ac- yeah night like who it was so fun my I knew about my friend was an extra on this film because they shot some of it at Pinewood Studios mm-hmm. and it, it you know and she said to, she even said to me there's a scene in the bar where actually she was supposed to be like she's just an extra she was just supposed to be like you know one of the background people um and then they made like they changed her role to be a waitress um, she's like black biracial and she kind of felt at the time it was like this is a bit awkward why have I gone mm-hmm. from being someone who goes to the bar now to be someone who works at the bar um, but yeah and she just knew you know one thing she said to me was like oh I really um, got the impression I really felt for Chloe having to deliver the lines on this script because it's shit so shout out my friend I won't name her in case she like gets <laughs> into trouble for that <laughs> but like yeah no she even I think everyone on set knew how shitty it was so yeah no I just thought it was terrible but I did appreciate um the use of Jagged Edge Let's Get Married um I really enjoyed listening to that for like 20 seconds <laughs> so 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 what, so what you're saying is the the peacock rapping didn't do it for you guys I mean that, that's the no, movie right there no I'm joking <laughs> that's how the movie starts <laughs> why it's all downhill from there but um yeah yeah the, why that song <laughs> I don't it's know. It's such a weird choice. I don't know. But like, Hannah, you alluded to it earlier. The first and biggest mistake of this movie, this is a Tom and Jerry movie in which Tom and Jerry are the supporting characters. They should be the main focus yeah. of the movie. That is like basic. I didn't connect with the Chloe Grace Moretz character, Kayla, at all. And no point are you really rooting for her to, to, to succeed because like, there's some really weird messaging here. At one point, she says she just wanted to prove that she deserved the shot. You didn't deserve the shot. You stole the CV and passed it off as your own. I don't understand yeah. what sort of messaging the film is trying to promote here, but you're not really. I don't on know. Board I think it's a struggle of the, the pretty white women. Someone stand <laughs> up for the pretty, gorgeous, model like white women who yeah. are underqualified <laughs> but deserve to have really, you know, intensive jobs. You know, I'm really glad they've got that representation on screen. <laughs> You maybe could have gotten away with <laughs> some of that if, you know, this movie was funny. This movie is not funny. Um, so that's an issue. The animated characters don't feel integrated into live action well at all. That's an issue. I don't know. Mm. Other than all of that, I loved it. Um, which is to say, I did not like it at all. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a feeling I know where we're going with this, but uh, stream or skip Chloe's. Skip it unless you want to be thinking about cartoon slaughterhouses for like <laughs> 30 minutes a time. 
really wish that hadn't happened to me. <laughs> and Hannah. Oh, absolutely skip. And if you want to, you know, keep your kids entertained with Tom and Jerry that you watch when you're younger, just show them some episodes of Tom and Jerry. Very, very well said. And with our discussion of movies now complete, it is time for... Hot Take! Oh, ow, God, oh my God, third degree burn, someone take me to the hospital! (laughs) This week, Disney announced it was releasing its slew of big budget movies in cinemas and online at the same time as the pandemic continues to cause a cloud of uncertainty over the future of the theatrical experience. Should the studio be more patient with releasing movies or should the world just accept that this is the new normal? Clarice, what say you? Yeah, I I think this is quite a tough conversation to have because, you know, we are a three film critics, we are uh, film fans, and and, you know, I think the obvious answer is like, Yes, we want to see these in, in cinemas. We want to see this, you know, on the big screen. But I think a lot of this conversation is actually kind of an economic conversation because um, this is, I think this is the thing. If, if you look at how so many studios and so much of filmmaking has been hit by the past year, it, it has really been devastating um, the amount of, of money lost, the amount of job loss, it's it's just depressing to think about. And and so I think when I when I see these announcements, I think my my gut instinct is to be like, right, everyone, no one really knows what they're doing right now. <laughs> and it really seems like the case that that these these studios are just trying to like not go under <laughs> just trying to to not completely fall apart and i know that sounds ridiculous because disney is one of the biggest companies in the world but um the losses that it posted last year were were in the billions um it's like pretty severe and and so i think like you know big or small these studios are, are in self-preservation mode so I don't know. Sorry, that's not a great. That's not a great answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think my answer is like, I don't think there is. I don't think there is an answer. I think. I think. Um, you know, we can definitely criticize individual decisions, but I think the overall thing is everyone's just trying to get through twenty twenty one, aren't we all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I I agree. But I would I would say. As a, as someone as a film kind of like fan critic, you know my gut things say, oh, I think they should wait because I want to see, especially some of these blockbusters on the big screen. I think I definitely feel like something I might, I just, you know, certain films I would have preferred like Raya and the Last Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have loved to have seen that on the big screen. You know, there's some, you know, Disney obviously with their schedule of films, lots of those I want to see on the big screen. Some of them I just don't know if I need to. Like Cruella, I'm not really. Am I gonna? Do I need to see it on the big screen? I don't think it's gonna have that. Sort I of do. Kind of, you do. <laughs> like I you're like. It. I want to see the costumes in detail. I'm I need sorry. to be close up. <laughs> Just everyone, let me be excited for this movie. I need it. <laughs> I, I, I. No, I'm not that. Not excited. But then at the same time, I think like you, Clarice. It's we're still in this pandemic, and I like, and I feel like you know, releasing online just seems the most like financially sensible option but also giving you know it gets people more to you know go on these streaming services but what I think they need to do is I think you know doing the whole simultaneously on Disney Plus and and in cinemas where it can show I think that's good but I think in places like 
you know, I, I think they should be given permissions to cinemas post-pandemic to have the option to play these films afterwards. Like, I know we've got new films coming out, but there has actually been a stop on production. So there are probably isn't going to be as many as we thought because of the kind of, you know, backlog of getting through. So I think making sure that the cinemas have the option to then do a theatrical runs and like Birds of Prey that deserved like a better theatrical, you know what I mean? Like things 100%. that we saw like last year that didn't get have the option um, to go on the big screen. I think they should do that. I don't know how that affects their deals because a lot, you know, Warner Bros are doing stuff with Sky Cinema, but, you know, Wonder Woman was in cinema brief, cinemas, well, was meant to be cinemas briefly before, you know, we got into lockdown again. So, yeah, making sure there's an option later. I get what you guys are saying. I think the thing which is making me, which which surprises me in some of these cases is that with Black Widow and with a film like Promising Young Women, you've already held it back for ages um, in the hopes of a theatrical release and then only to sort of put it online as we're sort of nearing the end of the finish line, at least that's what the experts keep saying, with the pandemic and with lockdown. And, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what the financials look like, but I'm thinking if, you're, if you've already held it back for that long... Uh, can you not just wait on a wait a little bit longer before putting it online on a Sky for Promising Young Woman and on a Disney Plus for for Black Widow uh, specifically in the, in this case? Um, I I feel like if they've already waited that long, they could have waited a little longer. If that makes sense. I was going to add, we've got a, we had someone tweet in to us, Adam yes. Green at Velcro Face. What's up? He says. I'm not going to pretend to know what the best financial decision is for studios, but for purely selfish reasons, I'm 100% on the side of delaying releases until it's safe to show them in cinemas. Watching new releases at home just isn't the same. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we'd all agree with that. But mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah. so, but you have something like Promising Young Woman that all has already been released in the US. People are already getting access to watch it because of the illegal downloads. They're probably thinking like, we need to just get this out on demand so that there's an option rather than people resorting to streaming it illegally. The problem with having, you know, these delayed releases from the US and the, Amer and the UK is that that is often the case that what have, uh, you know, people are just finding it in other ways. Mm. And also like, I think, you know, the Oscars obviously are hugely mm. affecting the, the release thing for Promising Young Woman. And I think the thing is like, like the government has set a date of when cinemas are gonna reopen they say but like mm -hmm. their government have said a lot of stuff <laughs> that hasn't come quite come true they've made a lot of promises um and i think this is the thing it's not even like okay well you know why don't they just delay promising young women till cinemas open it's like well actually they're delaying it until when they think cinemas might reopen mm -hmm. so i think that's the thing it's everything is so at risk at the moment that i think that's the thing it's like as as personally disappointed as i am and not being able to see some of these things in the cinema um i feel hesitant about about you know what just critiquing it because i think that's the thing we just we just don't know the reality of of um the economic side mm. of these things we'll probably mm. never know because it's not the kind of thing that studios love to advertise like <laughs> hey <laughs> we're about to go bankrupt <laughs> we love it <laughs> so 
to 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 kind of, I suppose tag on like a, a I suppose like a have a and turn from hot take to hot takes. Um, <laughs> I did notice that one of the things I saw this week, Curzon was saying it was potentially going to have separate screenings for people who have had a jab. A jab screening and no jab <laughs> screenings. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of going to be a weird one to try and. I think that's going to be too. <laughs> I think it's going to be too many, too much logistical kind of separations going into that. I don't know if that would kind of would work. I don't know. Do you get a little card? Like, how do you? I've got a card for my jab. Oh, so you just have to yeah. show your little card. Maybe that's yeah. what it is. But you could steal that. I don't know because you need like the vaccine passport. Isn't it? <laughs> No one's gonna yeah. steal them. <laughs> just hey. to go to Kazan, hey right? excuse me, I'm selling mine on the dark web. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta see undyed. <laughs> I'm gonna kill somebody and take their vaccine card. <laughs> no offense, undyed. It was a great movie, but <laughs> how long do you think it will be until cinemas are full up again for screenings? Screenings will fill up. Yeah. Hmm. I just because I, I'm, I'm, gu- be I'm, I'm guessing yeah. that part of the reason why. Disney are doing what they're doing with Black Widow is because even though cinemas will have reopened at that point, it's probably going to be half capacity at best. Mm. But also, this is UK. We're also having to talk about the global situation mm. and yeah. like cases are back on the rise in, in Europe. Yeah. America's up and down. So I think that's the thing. It's I sent you, it's, I, I showed yeah. you that picture I sent you the other day. <laughs> I remember when I, I kind of in the WhatsApp, I sent you that Oh look, Godzilla versus Kong thingy, and you were like, "Oh my God, where is where? What cinema? What yeah. screening was that?" I was like, Melbourne, yeah. <laughs> like you know, some places there is like you know, honestly, I mean, Australia seems to be um, you know life back to normal. New Zealand, obviously, so mm-hmm. you know these places. It's I'm like half like jealous, like all these places get to see these big screens. God, <laughs> just want to be on those recliner seats in the view cinema. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Amon saves me like... at every screening. Thank you so much, Amon. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, I realise this is first world problems, but I cannot believe that I'm probably going to see Godzilla vs. Kong next week for the first time on a little 30-inch computer screen. That is mad to me. Um, have you not I got an HDMI that... cable? Can you not just uh, hook it up to your TV? Yeah, I could, but, you know, 50-inch computer screen. It doesn't... It doesn't 50-inch TV screen, rather. It's still a, like a tiny TV screen. That that's like an IMAX, you know, full on movie. That is where you want to see that movie, especially for the first time. Um, and I hope buy that... yourself a projector, Amon. <laughs> like buy yeah, my my boyfriend to... bought one, and he's got got it using it because so, he hasn't got so he can play on his Nintendo Switch, not in the living room of his housemates. He got a projector and he's got like a one of those white slot, like you know, roller blinds. And yeah, like yeah, he has yeah. the projector going on there, so he can play like Nintendo, like on a bigger screen. So like, nice. you should maybe that's the thing we should all invest in as critics our own personal projectors. I have one, but it's <laughs> the battery lasts um, an hour and a half, and oh. you can't what you can't use it while it's plugged in. So I've been watching uh, the two thirds of many movies. <laughs> projector <laughs> and it's really annoying so i will watch two-thirds of of uh kong versus godzilla on my mm. projector and then i'll have to watch the ending on my tv <laughs> so Very until annoying. until Maybe we, we should get, get our home cinema system sorted out movie night at hannah's i think is what we're saying well yeah but i was also <laughs> thinking why don't we if there's any listeners 
who might be, you know, in the electrical technology business and they want to have like do some sponsorship, you give us projectors, we'll give you a shout out. We are like very amenable to those conversations. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we should definitely. I mean, the thing is, I've got a very big white wall. Um, I've got a very big white wall, and but my TV's in front of it. So I could do it and we could actually do a screening um when we're allowed to when it's legally allowed to be in each other's houses not before government um spies listening on the podcast we are following the rules thank you very much and uh, i i i will bring the popcorn clarice what are you bringing i'll bring the cocktails yeah. <laughs> i like the and i'll bring recently. and i'll bring the buttholes <laughs> That makes no sense. I know. I'm so sorry. I just wanted to say buttholes again. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, but it's not the best image. <laughs> it's really not. That is the image we are leaving you with, though, because on that note, that is it for this week's Fade to Black podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Do leave us a review if you love the podcast and tweet us if you have something you'd love to shout out next week. But until that time, you can... Follow us uh, on Twitter at Amon Woman to end. Hannah, where can they find you? You can find me at Hannah Flint and make sure that you're using our updated um, uh, hashtag Fade to Black pod. We realize that hashtag Fade to Black is a very popular Metallica song. And, you know, any of your things, <laughs> might, any of your tweets might have got lost in the way. Unless you want to tweet about Metallica. <laughs> I mean, yeah, go do that. For sure. <laughs> uh, I'm at Clarice Lou. And it's farewell from all of us. And now it's time to fade to black. Mm-hmm.